Hi. Hello. How are you? It's me, your host, Rachel. Welcome back to my true crime podcast, all of you weird friends. This week was requested by my cousin. We both remember hearing about this murder through the grapevine, but couldn't remember all of the details. Well, according to Google, you don't need much to find a murder. This one takes us back to before I was even born, 1984. This is yet another Colorado local case. Thanks for the request, Frankie. I know you were listening. Hope you enjoy this episode. If you have a murder you are interested in hearing in a future episode, be sure to follow me on social media. I have an Instagram and a Facebook specifically just for this podcast. Go drop me a comment or message, and I will be happy to cover some cases that interest you. You are listening to The Hammer Man. So this week brings us back to Sweet Home, Colorado, in the city of Aurora, which expands through Arapahoe and Adams County, even portion in Douglas County. The 2010 census estimated population at 325,078 people, making Aurora the third most populous city in the state. The real estate market is a whole different ballgame than what I'm used to selling. Median listing price is $410,000, which has gone up 7% just in the last month. Average days on the market is only 19 days. And this little fact will blow your mind if you think you pay too much in rent where you live. The average rental price per month is running $1,825. I guess I never realized how big Aurora is. It has 10 different zip codes. This Aurora that I speak of is very, very different from the year back that this murder took place. Back in 1984, there were people who still left their houses unlocked and trusted their neighbors. Nowadays, every house on the block has a security system and talking doorbells to scare off the porch pirates. The story I am about to tell you took place over a time span of 12 days. When I was researching this case, I almost named this episode 12 Days of Terror, but Hammerman just sounded better. It all started on January 4th, 1984. A young couple, James and Kimberly Hobbin Child, were asleep in their Aurora home. Around 2 a.m., they were awoken with terror when an unknown male with a hammer attacked them while standing over their bed. James was struck on the left side of his head. 
He put his hands up in defense and recalls looking down at his throbbing hands, and they were swollen. Then he noticed the hammer. The attacker threw the hammer at Kimberly, striking her in the head, leaving her with a concussion. Kimberly called the police while James ran around the house, making sure the attacker was gone, and every door was securely locked shut. That same night, 28-year-old Donna Dixon was attacked in her own garage. She had just arrived home when the attacker startled her with a hammer. He beat her head against the wheel well of her car, raped her, and left her for dead on the concrete floor. Donna survived miraculously with a severe head wound from the hammer. They may not have known it then, but over the course of the next 11 days, James, Kimberly, and Donna would be considered to be the lucky ones in this string of attacks. Six days later, January 10th, 1984, 50-year-old Patricia Smith, on her lunch break, was last seen making a stop at Wendy's fast food restaurant, and it's believed she was attacked shortly after, between 1 and 3 p.m. It was said the attacker attacked her shortly after she walked in her front door to her Lakewood home. She was among those who still left her front door unlocked. There was no sign of forced entry. Patricia was raped and murdered, only four feet from her front door, next to her living room couch. Investigators noticed her body looked as if it had been posed. She was laid on top of a neatly folded Winnie the Pooh comforter, and her arms and hands were crossed across her chest as if she was lying in a casket. A hammer was found nearby, as well as a TV upstairs had been left on. Her body was missing two diamond rings and a gold necklace, but nothing else had been taken from the home. Another six terrifying nights passed, leaving friends, family, and neighbors on edge fearing who this crazy hammer man was, if, and where he would strike again. January 16, 1984, the Bennett family in their Aurora home were the unfortunate next victims of the hammer man killing spree. Bruce Bennett, 26, was believed to be the first to wake up that night when he heard something strange coming from downstairs. Bruce encountered the hammer man breaking into their home near the stairwell. The hammerman attacked Bruce, then slitting Bruce's throat with a butcher knife from his own kitchen. Bruce had deep gashes to his arms and torso. Blood spatter proved Bruce fought like hell for his life before ultimately dying. The hammerman made his way upstairs, where he found the wife and mother, Deborah, 26, daughters Melissa, 7, and Vanessa, 3. Deborah and Melissa were found raped and beaten in their beds. Vanessa, only three, was found with her face smashed from the hammer, her jaw shattered with jagged pieces of bone thrust down her windpipe. Her skull was fractured on both sides. It wasn't until the following day, when the Bennett family failed to show up to work, that Bruce's mother, Constance, went to the Bennett home to make the gruesome discovery. All four seemed to be deceased, as she recalled but a paramedic on scene discovered Vanessa, the three-year-old, had vital signs. They rushed her by ambulance to the nearest hospital, where she made a full recovery. However, the external wounds couldn't compare to the emotional damage she would encounter being the only survivor of this gruesome family murder. Police investigating said the string of attacks lacked motive. There were no valuables taken from the Bennett home, 
purse was taken, but it was found outside with all of its contents dumped out on the snow in the front yard. It took only six days to link Patricia Smith's murder to the Bennett family murderer through DNA. Even though they had DNA, fingerprints, and a shoe print from inside Donna's garage floor, they had no name to match this DNA. This was back in 1984 before all this new DNA technology. Police questioned over 500 people, but no leads left them with their wheels turning. Investigators were able to recover some letters transferred from the killer's shirt onto Melissa's body when he pressed himself up against her. Letters that could have been a name embroidered on a pocket of the killer's shirt. Two different independent labs examined the letter imprints, One lab believed the letters read R-I-C-H-A-R, almost a full name, Richard. However, the second lab made out the letters P-E-T-A-W-C. There were shoe prints taken from outside the Bennett home that ended up being a positive match to the shoe print recovered from Donna Dixon's garage floor. In 2002, based on DNA evidence, then-District Attorney Jim Peters filed an arrest warrant for John Doe in June 2002 for the Bennett family murder. No one knew this John Doe by his real name, just his DNA profile. This unidentified man was charged with 18 counts, including three counts of first-degree murder, two counts of sexual assault, first-degree assault, two counts of sexual assault on a child, and burglary. The attacks just seemed to stop after the Bennett family. The only survivor of the Bennett family murders, Vanessa, was raised by her grandmother, Constance Bennett. In a 1994 interview, Constance said Vanessa did not remember the attacks, but she does remember bits and pieces of her family. Vanessa's skull was caved in on the right side of her forehead. A metal plate was inserted to reshape her skull. She had a shattered pelvis and even slipped into a coma during her recovery. She recalls being teased at school, kids taunting her that the hammer man would come back to finish her off. The kids looked at the attacker as the boogeyman linked to Vanessa, and they didn't want to be near her. Vanessa was left to struggle with ADHD, PTSD, and bipolar disorder. She developed a drug habit later in life, leaving her an addict. She moved to Arizona, and at one time, she spent a year living homeless under a bridge. It was when Vanessa turned 38 years old, 35 years after the murder, she got a phone call. The Aurora Police Department had identified her family's killer. John Doe was identified as 57-year-old Alexander Ewing. Alexander Ewing was already behind bars, serving a 40-year sentence for two counts of attempted murder in Nevada. His DNA was entered into CODIS in 2018, linking his DNA to the Bennett family murder suspect. Justice may have been 35 years late in this case, but it's always best served cold. That wraps it up for the Hammerman. I hope you enjoyed listening. I always have so much fun creating this content for you guys, so enjoy the bloopers from this week's episode. She had a shovel a metal plate, plate, $995. I should have just rounded that up. $410,000, you guys. Oh my gosh. This was black. The hammer man made his way coming from the downstairs 
coming from the downstairs. Hoban's child. Hobbin's child. I don't know. Sasha. Thanks for listening. Join me next Wednesday for my newest episode. Until then, stay weird, my friends. Oh, and one more thing. I love you, honey.